You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Erin uh, Elliott. Uh, she's a dentist, and we're going to talk about snoring. In particular, I've been doing a series on snoring and sleep apnea and all kinds of other sleep problems, and part of it's uh, selfish because I've had them for many years, and uh, part of it is to help you, the listener. So, Erin, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. I, any chance I get to talk about some snoring, I am all about it. It's such a common problem that people think it's normal or they learn to live with it. And so I, I want them to know that there's options and possibly deeper going on. Yeah. How do um, patients approach you about snoring or do you somehow know to approach them? Like, how does it work and what do they tell you? Yeah, it, it often, when I first started 10 years ago, I, I would get looked at like I had two heads when I asked a dental patient how they slept at night and if they snored. And um, I think more, it's becoming a little bit more commonplace for dentists to be screening um, for this, but there's a lot of dental signs and symptoms. And traditionally, if I had you close your eyes and imagine a sleep apneic or a snore, I know what you would, I would ha- what you would have in your mind, probably an old fat man. But really, <clears throat> um, it, it is anatomical. And so there's dental signs and symptoms, like I said, that I can identify and really gives us, the mouth gives us a lot of clues as to what could be happening. For example, even simply grinding their teeth. Um, a large tongue, it's called a scalloped tongue. Um, a small chin. So there's, the list is like 30 or 40 um, symptoms long, but once I can identify those in a dental patient or my hygienist does, then we start a conversation. Okay, and then um, well, I'm jumping ahead here, but uh, when you talk to people and you say, hey, you know, you have certain signs that may tell me that you may snore, you know, what are the patients saying? Or again, are they bringing it to you? Like what percentage of the time do they come to you versus you say something to them? Um, so for a traditional dentist, um, I know more patients are asking them, um, but really it's it's me bringing it to them. I've been doing this long enough and and am established in the community that physicians are referring or existing patients are referring their family and friends. So, so I am a little odd in the fact that people are seeking me out just for this. 
but um, most of the time it's us identifying it in them, if you know, coming through our, our traditional hygiene flow. Um, and so when we do bring it up, uh, it's funny because if you ask a man, do you snore, every single time they say no. So I've actually stopped asking that question. I just say, hey, has anyone told you that you snore? And then I really oh, yeah. kind of get the truth. <laughs> and then for well, women, you don't know. yeah, you don't know. <laughs> my, my, well, I've, I've laid on the bed, and like you know, if I lay on my back, I do, and I wake up, and my son will go, "Dad, you're snoring," and I have no clue because you're asleep. Yes, exactly. And and so the denial is huge. However, you know, smartphones and video cameras have kind of helped some of that. But I would tell you that I didn't snore until my husband did videotape it and put it on social media. I couldn't deny it anymore because, um, you know, I'm a young kind of thinner female and there's no way that you know, I could snore or have sleep apnea or anything like that. So it's it's been a journey for sure. And women, I, they snore too. And so it, they definitely seek help because to them it's more embarrassing. And so they seem to, to be in less denial about it. Yeah. And um, I read a stat, I think it's AASM that said like 25% of couples don't sleep in the same bed or they mm-hmm. start out and then they don't finish sleeping in the same bed. So it affects relationships a lot. It's embarrassing. Um, you know, I remember like traveling with my family years ago and I thought, oh no, I better get two hotel rooms. I don't want to keep them awake all night. My wife said, it's okay. And I was like, no, 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 we, we got to do it. And, you know, it can be a huge impact if, if, for instance, a couple doesn't sleep together, they could think, what's the other one doing? Are they texting or watching porn or will the relationship <laughs> fall apart? So, I mean, it's a big deal, you know, who knows? Yeah. And, and it can get expensive, especially, you know, if you go on a cruise, those are really cramped quarters. In two rooms would be a lot. Um, and it's interesting. I actually had a patient who is a marriage counselor once, and she's like, oh, my gosh, like, this is – I need to re- refer a lot of my, my clients to you because, you know, if you're not sleeping in the same bed, you do lose some of that intimacy and just time together. And, it like, it's not normal. I, I went to do a lunch and learn at a physician's office, and the nurses came up to me. They're like, I think I need to come see you because my husband and I have been sleeping in separate rooms for five years. I'm like, how? Like, we have options. And snoring, I, I honestly believe, and it's, it's from a lot of years of experience, too, that I'd say 90% um, or more of, of chronic snoring really is sleep apnea or, or some sort of sleep. So it's interesting, you know, I know you're a tech podcast, and um, I get so many of those Facebook feeds and Instagram stuff about all this anti-snoring stuff. And I think some of it is gimmicky, and some of it might actually help, but um, I think what that tells me is that people are looking for a, a simpler solution and they want to do something to help appease their bed partner. Yeah, so physiologically, what's going on uh, when you snore? What causes it? What happens when you snore? And then we'll get into remedies. Well, really, snoring is noise, right? It's vibration of soft tissue. And that can be caused by many things. Um, Like soft tissue in the back of the throat, like an elongated soft palate, uh, large tonsils. Um, It also shows shows a narrowing of the airway. Like if you could imagine trying to breathe through like a coffee stir straw, there would be some turbulence there um, if your airway is, is narrowed and collapsing. 
And that can be caused by the tongue falling back, the soft palate collapsing. Um, Those are the usual culprits. And then there's snoring that can be nasal. A lot of times when we treat a patient, which we'll get into treatment options, um, if they do have residual snoring, then that's where we look um, nasally. And that could be a valvular collapse. It could be large turbinates, it could be polyps, um, or just a narrow nares or, or nose way. And a lot of those things can cause snoring. And a lot of people will say, I snore just when I'm sick or have allergies. And that shows that the tissue in the you know in the oral cavity is more swollen than normal so it becomes more vibration you know more swollen less less taut and then um some people say they snore just when they're on their back and that's because the tongue falls back and their mouth usually drops open uh and then some people say they snore only when they drink and that just uh allows really what alcohol does is it's like a sedative so it just relaxes the muscles so much that there's narrowing of the airway as well as there could be swelling there as well yeah and from what i understand um in rem sleep that's when you have total collapsibility i guess everything relaxes completely so you're more likely to snore at that stage of sleep than deep sleep right you know i didn't want to get too technical but i i thought about mentioning that you really have done your research um yes REM sleep it's it's interesting because um our body is essentially paralyzed otherwise we'd act out our dreams so yeah the the muscles are at their most um vulnerable and relaxed position so we do see an increase in snoring as well as sleep apnea in REM sleep have you seen a pattern in tooth decay or um staining of the teeth or mouth morphology or anything like that in snorers versus non-snorers? You know, there there is, but I haven't seen like research per se on it. But most um, sleep apneics or snorers usually breathe through their mouth. And saliva really is kind of the best mouth rinse we have. And if you're breathing through your mouth, um, plaque dries out. Saliva helps clear plaque. Um, it helps neutralize acids. It helps clear food particles and food debris. And if you have a mouth breather, then the plaque um, and bacteria just kind of stick the teeth and you have a buildup of tartar and stain and, and that's how decay can happen as well. And then we see like gingivitis on the on the front gums and that's a common sign of mouth breathing, which tells us that there's Um, an obstruction because really you know we have a nose for a reason it does so many things for us but if it's obstructed or blocked then we're more prone to snoring and sleep apnea so it sounds like snoring can be caused maybe by a wide tongue or a large tongue or a tongue with poor muscle condition or a pharynx with poor muscle condition or perhaps Mm -hmm. if you're overweight as well and there's fat deposits or uh, deviated septum or allergies or I mean dozens of possible ways for it to happen yeah yeah and that's the thing is helping identify that um you know with with weight it's it's interesting because fat doesn't you know it really can impact the airway for every like 10 percent of your body weight that you lose it can reduce um the sleep apnea severity or even snoring by a significant amount but it's also anatomical like i said it's also physiological your muscles could just be more collapsible so it's it it's very there's a lot of factors going into it. Is it nasal? Is it is it from further down? Is there collapsing going on? Is it actually sleep apnea? So you're right. It's it identifying the cause is the best way to treat. So okay, now the range of treatments. What 
what do you typically do? And I know it depends on what the cause is, but what are the possible treatments? Uh, traditionally, um, kind of in the medical world, they they used to, but especially back in the 90s, there was a lot of things to um, treat snoring. And what that tells me is that a sleep study is not done first. And I think it's vitally important to um, test airflow before um, doing, you know, working on snoring to see if there's a collapsing of the airway. Saying that, uh, surgically, there was a lot of surgeries done in the piece where they cut out the soft palate, um, part of the, the pharyngeal wall, which is like the curtains of the throat. It's the, the side walls, as well as the uvula. So it's called a U-triple, uvula uh, pharyngeal palatoplasty. Um, the problem horrible. is, it's, yeah, it's about 30% successful. Uh, it does reduce the snoring, um, but not necessarily the collapse. And then they used to do this thing called um, palatal, like pillars, where they, since since snoring is vibration of soft tissue, they put these kind of stiff rods into the soft palate. The problem is the body would reject them, and they would eventually work themselves out almost like a splinter would. So that wasn't effective. And so there's um, there's nasal surgeries that can help reduce snoring. Again, finding the cause. Is it a deviated septum? Is it large polyps that or turbinates that are even causing the problem? Uh, so, I, again, I think people are kind of like throwing darts out like, okay, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Uh, and then, you know, weight loss can reduce severity. I don't know if it completely eliminates it. Um, if you lose weight, you might, you know, go down to more mild snoring. Uh, you can gain and lose weight in your tongue. And to me, a lot of snoring is the, the fight for, for tongue space and the prevention of that tongue falling back and collapsing the airway. Then um, sleeping on your side, there's a lot of gizmos and gadgets to for positional therapy, it's called, where it forces you to sleep on your side. Stopping smoking. Lifestyle changes do help, um, you know, not just weight loss, but stopping um, smoking and, um, you know, no no fun in life. Not that I smoke. Um, and then um, then there's the CPAP, which essentially stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure, where it's a reverse vacuum and it's just blowing enough air to blast open the airway and, and move soft tissue out of the way. And then um, now... Uh, oral appliances have been around for a, a long time, but they're now becoming more commonplace. Um, and what it does, and you see a lot of the internet ones as well, but by posturing the jaw forward, you can, um, the, the tongue muscles and the throat muscles are attached to that lower jaw. And so by bringing that forward, you create a more open airway. And if there's more open airway, there's less turbulence and less vibration and therefore less snoring. If you look at... Um let's say a thousand people you've seen that snore, has anyone taken the time to sort them into categories? Oh, you know, 45%, uh, it looked like it was the pharynx and 22%, it looked like it was a deviated septum. Has anyone done that? Because maybe you'd see a predominance. You know? I bet there is. Um, I, I wish I knew the stats on that. And I could probably Google it later, but there is, so there's, something called um, DICE, and it stands for um, Drug-Induced Surgical Endoscopy. And essentially, they put you to sleep, and then they use a scope to find out where the collapse is going on. So yeah, they, they mimic sleep to see what's going on. So the, the biggest collapsing area is the tongue and then soft palate. 
and then there's the lateral walls and then the epiglottis. As far as snoring goes, they're looking for collapse. Now, as far as how much snoring is coming from the nose, I don't know the stats on that. If that was known, and then you correlated the treatments and their efficacy, I think that would be mm-hmm. a big step forward. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, the problem is getting ENTs to do the um, drug endoscopy, drug-induced endoscopy, uh, because insurance won't pay for it. So, you know, the patient has to be really motivated, and there's just not any ENTs in my area that do it, but there are some specialists in the bigger bigger cities that do it. Because I think that does totally customize and tailor um, the treatment to the patient. And even, even if with the stats, it's still totally hard to to know for sure where that collapsing is. So what's the, um, you talked about some surgeries, radical ones. What about the other side, home remedies? You know, sing, take singing lessons, play the didgeridoo, do tongue exercises, myofunctional therapy, things like that. What's your opinion on, on that side of the coin? I think I think all of those things help reduce severity. Curing is a really strong word to me. And so, um, oh, by the way, with some sur- there's other surgical options. And if you um, basically have an oral surgeon on your team, you can essentially advance the upper and lower jaw. And I want to mention that that is, is like 90% successful. And so if you are like wanting to cure this and just take care of it permanently and not have to have a machine or an appliance or a gizmo, um, that that surgery is the most effective. It's essentially moving, changing the anatomy so that you get a bigger airway. Um, but all of those other things. about that, how, how do you move the jaw forward? What's that surgery like, by the way? Oh, so <laughs> I don't want to go into too much detail because I've witnessed a few and it sounds brutal, but the patients are actually in a lot less pain than they, um, they thought they would be. But um, you kind of saw the upper jaw off of the base of the skull and split the lower jaw and advance it about 10 millimeters. Just, okay. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. But I mean, it's effective. Um, it's, it can be curative and it, it's really not as painful as people thought it would be. Okay. And then, um, again, a little bit more commentary on the home remedies, I'll call them. You said you, you think they'll improve, but what else do you have to say about them? you know, singing, didgeridoo, et cetera? Um, well, what the didgeridoo and the upper airway exercises do is improve muscle tone. And so, again, it can, I think it can it definitely improve the airway, um, help you keep the airway open at night. Um, what I mean by not curative is without really testing it afterwards, I, I think, like I said, it could help keep the airway more open and less collapsible. But Sometimes there's just some anatomical issues that no amount of working out will will um, change. Has anyone looked at the microbiome of the nose or the throat as it relates to snores? Anyone even thinking about that? Um, there could be. I not that I know of. Okay, I'm just wondering. You know, all angles here. So, so what's um what is the near term future of fixing snoring? What do you see that's, you know, here that's the latest and greatest or that's about to come out that you're looking forward to? Um, I, what I like the most of what's going on right now is that more and more people are aware of it. Not just, not just the medical world. Like that's, I'm in a smaller town. And so 
in the smaller town of Coeur d'Alene. So I'm able to gain access to physicians and kind of spread the message. But what I like is that the consumer is more aware and the consumer is more willing to do something about it. And I think it's because they didn't have a lot of options. Uh, the other thing we didn't mention is Inspire. Are you familiar with that? Um, I forget, but I, I know I've seen the acronym, but I forget what it's about. Yeah, so Inspire and, and more insurances are covering it. But what Inspire does, it's like almost like a pacemaker that they put in under the ribs. And then it has like a lead that goes to your tongue. And if your tongue collapses back, it kind of zap, zaps the tongue to bring it forward. So really, I, just, I, I don't think there's going to be a magic bullet except what I think is, is could be the most important switch or change is if we as dentists can get the, the message out and help shape and, and grow the anatomy of a child, meaning catching snoring in kids, thumb sucking, mouth breathing. Um, we, we are trying to screen our kids at a younger age, even two years old, to help grow and develop the jaws forward, broad, and wide, so that there's less constrictions and less anatomical issues attributing sleep apnea and snoring. That brings up something important, uh, braces and snoring. How have you seen it affects people, you know, uh, teenagers essentially that get braces, you know, 10 to 15, 10 to 17. Is there any correlation there and what it does? I don't think it creates, no, I don't think it creates snoring having braces, but I think if we get to kids when they get braces at 12, 13, that's too late. The teeth have already come in and now we're trying to sort them out. But if we can grow and develop the jaws so that there's room for the teeth and get the child breathing through their nose, I think that is better. Um, so a lot of times we're straightening the teeth within the context of the jaws that are they're fully grown by then, really. Um, our our head and neck is kind of fully grown by like 10, 12 years old, and so we try to get the growth spurts earlier. Um, I don't I don't think braces contributes to sleep apnea. I think that we are doing less extractions of teeth and pulling everything back and crowding the airway, which is good. Um, but I I think that if we could get the orthodontists and, and braces on kids, we could see better um, less adult sleep apnics and snorers. Okay, but you know, uh, patients that get braces, does it improve snoring or? Um, not necessarily. Um, really, by then the braces are, there's not a ton of expansion going on and cre creating more room for um, the tongue. It's more just straightening the teeth of where the jaws already are. Okay, All right. very good. So what, what's the best way for people to find out more and you know, if they're near you to come see you, but otherwise, uh, <laughs> How can they find out more to help themselves if they suspect they snore? Um, the AADSM is a good place. It's American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. Um, I actually would love to help answer questions too. I happen to know dentists almost everywhere. <laughs> um, so my email, personal email address is erinelliottdds at gmail.com. It's two L's. And... Um, AADSM has a lot of good information, and even the American Academy of Sleep Medicine would. And there's even, you know, snoring or sleep associations and that sort of thing. Um, but the the great part is, I think there's more awareness, and I appreciate all you're doing to help with the awareness as well. Okay, Erin. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. 
You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Thank you.